So, hello everybody and welcome along again to the Health Wealth Podcast uh, for another episode. Uh, this week's going to be slightly different, it's a little bit of a throwback this week. Uh, it's just going to be me on my own. Um, Barry's unavailable this week and we didn't have any um, any guests in for this week. We've got some more great guests coming up, but for now, uh, it's just going to be me this week. So I thought I'd just keep it short and sweet, have a, a nice little short one for you. And I'm just going to run through some of the basic questions that we get in regards to, you know, eating animal-based and, and carnivore uh, and this kind of eating, this kind of lifestyle, some of the questions people have come into it, uh, whether it's issues that they're worried about or some of the things they might experience when they, they first get into it. So I thought we'd just run through some of those basic questions, give people a bit of an overview and hopefully uh, put some some minds at rest in terms of some of the things get flagged up. Um, as we know, eating this way is completely contrary to the majority of the opinions out there in the medical world and in the nutritional world and you know the food and drug industry and you know the governments and everything we're we're pretty much going against the grain of everything so obviously you're going to get pushback and you're going to be told certain things are bad about it and certain things are unhealthy so it's just getting to the bottom of that giving you the knowledge so that you are confident and comfortable in what you're doing that you understand why you're doing it and that you can, you know, have the counter arguments to to when people bring up these issues to you. So we'll jump right in. One of the first things I want to look at was cholesterol. This is a big one. There's a lot to this one, but we'll just run through kind of the basics of it, the overview of it, and the the kind of common questions around it, and give you a little bit of background, a little bit of information into to how to approach it. So some of the questions we get are, you know, should I worry about high cholesterol? Because, you know, a lot of people who go into carnivore can see their cholesterol go up and their LDL levels. Uh, do I need to take a statin? Because obviously if you go to a doctor with slightly raised uh, cholesterol, they're going to want to put you on a statin straight away. You know, my doctor's worried about my levels and isn't saturated fat bad to you, bad for you, not to you. That's what we're told. We're always told saturated fat is bad, cholesterol is bad, avoid it. So we're just going to have a look at that and uh, unpack a little bit of that for you. So first thing to really understand is what does cholesterol do because obviously when you go to the doctor and your cholesterol's high and they want to put you on a statin and they want to reduce your cholesterol the first thing we want to kind of address is do we want to lower our cholesterol you know yes a statin will lower your cholesterol but do you want that to happen is is that something that we should want uh, and look for so let's look at what cholesterol does in our body why we might not want to lower it so cholesterol in your body does a lot, a huge amount, huge amount. So cholesterol is essential for cell formation and cell communication. It makes up every single cell in our body. So that every single cell, you know, the membrane and the cell would not exist without cholesterol. So if we didn't have it in our body, if we stopped taking in any more cholesterol, our body would start to break down and die. We would not be able to make any new cells and uh, the whole process of the body would break down. So we need it. It's essential. Now, it's also an essential part of the healing process in our body at a cellular level. Uh, and it plays an important role in keeping our immune system working. So it's very beneficial to our health overall, both at a cellular level and in just in our general uh, immune system. We need cholesterol to keep all of that working. Now, it's also responsible for transporting fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K, um, as well as antioxidants and Lots of other essential nutrients around the body. So it's, it's essentially a transport system is what it is, especially, you know, the LDL 
in our blood. It's transporting stuff around the body and it's essential stuff that we need to transport around like these vitamins and these nutrients. So having more of it in your blood, it's not necessarily a bad thing because you're transporting more around. It's we, we need to dig deeper into other numbers and other levels and what's actually going on in your body to decide whether or not it's a good or a bad thing. But just it being high does not mean it's a it's a bad thing. Now, without cholesterol, we wouldn't even be able to absorb the nutrients that we're consuming from food into our body. You know, the, the absorption within our gut and everything, all of these processes, they all need cholesterol. So it's completely and utterly uh, essential to what we do. And um, it also makes up the myelin sheath, which is the, it's the protective sleeve for our nerves. So when you've got an electric cable, you, you have um, the protective sleeve around it, which stops you from getting electrocuted if you touch it. And essentially, that's what our nerves have. You know, and essentially it's electric signals going through our nerves. It's kind of the same thing as an electrical system. Uh, and we have that that protective layer around them. And if that breaks down, then you can start to get all types of conditions uh, with nerve damage and with the nervous system. And that is made up of cholesterol. So if you have low cholesterol, then you could be at risk of the, the myelin sheath breaking down and having uh, complications with your nervous system. Now, all of our hormones are also made from cholesterol. So... Without cholesterol, we would not be able to make new hormones and our whole endocrine system would just completely break down. We wouldn't be able to control them properly or, or do anything with them. So again, it's essential. It's not, cholesterol is not something that, you know, you take it or leave it. Could be good, could be bad. It's essential to everything that we do. Now, approximately 60% of our brain is made up of fat and cholesterol and 80% of the cholesterol in our body is made by the liver. Okay, so only... Only 20% of the body, of the body, only 20% of the cholesterol in your body is actually from your diet. 80% is made by the liver. Okay, so why would our body produce such a huge amount of something that's dangerous for us? Okay, it wouldn't. You know, that nature doesn't make stupid mistakes like that. Clearly, we need cholesterol and our body makes 80% of it. So it's something we need. It's, you know, brains, 60% fat and cholesterol. You need your brain to function. You need cholesterol. So it's essential. So we understand what cholesterol does. It, it's essential for us in so many different areas. So why would we want to reduce those levels? Why would we want to lower that? And if you can start to ask those questions, you can start to put your mind at, at, at ease. You know, as soon as it's high, everyone starts trying to get you worried about stuff. But then you have to look at it and say, okay, well, cholesterol is essential. It, I can't do all these functions without it. So, you know, why do I want to lower it? Now, an important thing to remember when it comes to the, the high cholesterol levels, we're, we're going to talk a bit about the levels now in blood tests and stuff, which is normally when, you, when your doctor gets worried if it, if it comes up. Um, now, an important thing to remember is they want you within a target range for, for these levels. But we have to bear this in mind. This, this applies to all kinds of things, to, to levels of vitamins and nutrients as well as blood tests is. These ranges are, are classed as normal, but, but they're not healthy, okay? The, they get these ranges from just using, a, you know, a, I don't know, it's like a 1,000 or 10,000 people that come in, they test them all, and they take the average from them, and that's the normal. But the people coming in for blood tests are not healthy people. They're unhealthy. So do you necessarily want to be in the same range as all these unhealthy people? Or actually, are you going to be healthier being outside of the range of unhealthy people? So... That's one thing to bear in mind is being outside of these ranges is not a big, scary, terrible thing. Sometimes it's good to be outside these ranges and not not with everything. We have to take, you know, each each level 
uh, within, you know, blood tests and levels in your body has to be, you know, taken as an individual one. And then you have to look across the whole thing to get the full story. But, you know, with a lot of them, the normal range does not apply to someone who is supremely healthy and eating optimally. So you don't need to worry too much about that. Really, the cholesterol levels of someone who's eating an optimal diet are returning to the levels that it should be for a human. And actually, everyone else is outside the range and, and they're unhealthy. So we don't want to fear high LDL. So a lot of studies have shown a strong association of higher LDL with longer life expectancy. So essentially, the higher your LDL is, the longer your life expectancy. The lower your LDL, the higher your all-cause mortality. Okay, that's been shown a lot in a lot of studies. Now, there are some numbers from a lipids panel that we can use as a sign of health issues, but LDL is not really one. Okay, LDL, we can, we don't really need to pay too much attention to it. <laughs> what we look at is triglyceride to HDL ratio. That's what we like to look at. So in order to get the number, you divide your triglycerides by your HDL, and we want it to be below one. So you want your HDL higher than your triglycerides. Now, if it's between one and two, then you've probably got some work to do in your diet you could do with improving it. If it's above two, you need to act you know, pretty soon. You're insulin resistant, more than likely, and probably a lot of other health issues that are going on inside your body. So you definitely want to take some action if, if it's up above two. So that's really the main thing that we would look at on a lipids panel. But again, you have to take into account a wider picture. Just one number won't won't tell everything. So even, you know, well, if your triglycerides are, are high and your HDL is low, yeah, you'd want to improve that. But in order to be able to say, okay, this is exactly what you've got, you're going to need to look at more numbers. You can't just take one number and say, this needs changing. So, you know, with LDL, we don't need to worry too much. But the one thing we can look at with LDL, if you want to, if you're concerned, if you have high LDL and you're concerned, you can look at whether you have um, pattern A or pattern B. So there's, we have large buoyant particles of LDL and we have small dense. So you can get a test which tells you how many you have of each type and you want the pattern A, so the large buoyant. The small dense are the types that you don't want and we get the small dense uh, when the particles are damaged, which normally will happen through glycation, which is uh, increased blood sugar levels in the body, um, oxidation from seed oils, smoking, and inflammation. So when we're eating an animal-based carnivore diet, we're going to remove most of these causes. So we're going to expect to have more pattern A than pattern B, and that's going to be healthy for us, and being a higher LDO is not going to matter too much. Now, Let's talk about saturated fat. Obviously, we're told to fear it. We're told it's, you know, it's terrible. It's dangerous. We've been told that for years. Now, as humans, we've always eaten fat, especially, you know, early humans going back hundreds of thousands of years. Fat would have been a huge part of their diet. We would have been eating animals. You know, as we discussed, that was the only food around. And they would have been fatty and we would have ate the whole animal, the meat, the fat. And that would have given us our energy to, to live, to function and to evolve to, to what we did. So we've always eaten fat. But what we need to eat is natural fats. So there are some fats you should avoid, which are things like seed oils, vegetable oils. These are man-made fats. They're not natural, and we don't want to eat them. But fats from animal sources, saturated fats, they're good. You can eat them. I mean, it, you know, even fats like in uh, avocado, let's just say if you eat that, for people who do include some plants, that's fine. That's good as well. It's natural, but it's, it's the man-made ones that we that we want to avoid. So 
we've got to um, just stick to that. Animal fat is good. Man-made fat is bad. I think we like that. And on the subject of fats as well, it, for when you're cooking, always cook with animal fats. We, we mentioned this lots on the podcast, but always cook on animal fats. Don't cook with seed oils, any type of oil, even with olive oil. Olive oil um, just drizzled on a, on a salad at room temperature. Yeah, if you want to eat that, fine. But cooking it, uh, you're going to take it past its smoke point. Uh, it's, you're going to take it uh, to too high temperature. It's going to oxidize and it's, it's going to become not good for your, your insides. So don't cook with any type of oil. Cook with animal fat. Now, we've already covered that the brain is mostly fat. And it is also fat is also the best energy source for our body. So another two uses of saturated fat. Brain's made from it. And it's the best energy source for our body. And by burning fat and producing ketones, that is the best energy source for our brain too. Most powerful. Ketogenic diets and, and being in ketosis has been shown to be super beneficial to all kinds of cognitive issues. You know, with Alzheimer's uh, and, and dementia and many like that. So fraudulent studies, which they've been shown to be fraudulent back in the 50s and 60s, pointed the blame at saturated fat and it's been demonized ever since. So this is why we've got the whole saturated fat is bad. Before the 50s and 60s, people used to eat quite a lot of fat and it wasn't thought of as, as bad. But they made studies, basically the sugar companies pay people off to put the blame on fat instead of sugar. Sugar's the real culprit. So ever since then, saturated fat has been demonized and um, we've been given that message of don't eat saturated fat and be scared of saturated fat. But that's completely wrong. And we need fat. And obviously, you know, cholesterol, we've talked about how essential that is. And that is obviously cholesterol is in saturated fat. You need to eat your fat. You need to get your cholesterol, get your fat. And that's what we need. So let's talk about statins just quickly. Now, if you have raised cholesterol and you go to a doctor, as I said, he is going to, or she, whoever, is going to want to put you on a statin. Because that's, it's just what they're trained to do. Again, We've said this before, I've criticised doctors quite a lot, but also you have to look at it from the point of view of they're literally just doing their job. They're just taught, if someone comes in and they're outside this range, statin, hit them with a statin, bam, bam, bam. So it's what they're told. So, you know, I think morally they should, they have an obligation to do more for people's health. That's what they should care about. But at the same time, they're doing their job. So, you know, just expect it. If you go there, they're probably going to want you to. But... What we have to look at, as I've mentioned before, is number one is, do we want to lower cholesterol? Okay, that is what a statin does, lowers your cholesterol. And it does do it. You know, that is what it's meant to do. It, it, it does lower your cholesterol. But do we want to lower our cholesterol? In my opinion, and from the evidence we've looked at, the answer is no. Cholesterol is completely essential. We don't really want to lower it. So in that case, you wouldn't really want a statin. The second part is... What are the side effects of statins? Yes, it can lower your cholesterol. But what else does it do? Um, some of the side effects you get that have been shown is that it gives you poor glucose control and it increases insulin resistance. Both of those things lead to a number of serious health conditions, one of which is type 2 diabetes, which is a huge uh, risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So we're taking a statin to lower cholesterol to supposedly prevent us from getting cardiovascular disease but in actual fact cholesterol doesn't cause cardiovascular disease and the side effects of a statin actually raise our chances of cardiovascular disease so essentially a statin is more than likely going to actually increase your overall risk rather than reduce it so 
you probably want to avoid them. But that is a conversation you need to have with your doctor. We can't give medical advice on this show, but you would definitely want to question it and have a long, hard think about whether you really would want to go on to one. Let's move on swiftly. Now, that's cholesterol pretty much covered. As I say, there's there's tons more depth to it. There, there's tons more science you can really get into if you want to and all the ins and outs and different research has been done. But we're just kind of giving a basic overview of why you don't need to fear it and you know put your mind at ease. So the next question that we get a lot, especially for people who are already um, kind of into their fitness and going to the gym, and their big question is, don't I need carbs for energy? You know, how am I going to work out without carbs? And I hear this a lot. And it's a fair question. Okay, the short answer is no, but I'll give you I'll give you a longer answer too. Okay. So our body has two choices for energy. Now, it can burn fat or it can um, use carbohydrates and use the glucose from it. So glucose from carbohydrates or fat. Now, what we use is dependent on what we consume and whether or not our body is fat adapted. So there's, in the body, there's three types of energy systems based on what we're doing and how long the movements are lasting for the, the exercise. So there's the phosphocreatine, which that's explosive movements. So 10 to 30 seconds, that's what that is. Um, and, you know, glucose or fat is not used for either of them. Then there's the glycolytic or lactic acid, which is for strength and endurance. It's movements between 30 seconds and three minutes. That's where, you know, when you're having carbs, that's where you're using your glucose. Then there's aerobic, which is endurance, three minutes plus. Okay, and that's, you know, your fat burn in there is perfect for that. But most people think that they can't do the, the glycolytic without carbs. Now, there's been studies where they compared high-carb to low-carb athletes and found that high-carb athletes were able to perform much better in, the, in these type of environments. However, the studies only lasted for three weeks. Now, to fully adapt to fat burning... It takes at least 12 weeks to get your body fully adapted and up to speed. So that study is not really accurate because the, the people involved in it, they only started low carb at, at the beginning. So they've done three weeks of low carb, so they're not adapted. So we'd expect them to perform worse. So we need to look at longer term. And there has been studies on that, fortunately. So this study where they used fully adapted um, keto athletes, they're low carb fully adapted to fat burning the results were very different so they were able to form the same level as high carb athletes and while also oxidizing fat at much higher levels so there was no loss of performance and the most interesting part is that actually the low carb athletes had the exact same levels of glycogen in their muscles as the high carb athletes both before during and after exercise okay so they're not taking in any carbs but they were able to have the same levels of glycogen in their muscles as high carb athletes so people are thinking that we're not getting glycogen because you're not having carbs and you're not getting glucose, but obviously our body can make glucose itself. And also we can, you know, replenish the glycogen in our muscles. They did not have any lack. Now, another study uh, used high level endurance athletes, uh, put through intense training and followed for over 12 weeks. They were fully adapted. There was a high carb group, a low carb group, um, and they did a hundred kilometer time trial at the end of the 12 week. They did one at the start, one at the end. Now, the low-carb group improved their time by over four minutes on average. The high-carb group improved by just over one minute. So, and these are all, these are high-level athletes, okay? And they were, they did a time trial at the start. Then they've done 12 weeks of intense training while they've been on whichever diet they're on. And at the end of it, low-carb have improved by over four minutes, high-carb by one minute. So actually, we've seen athletic performance 
increase on the low carb, not just equaling high carb, but actually gone even better. And also the peak power output that increased by 0.8 watts per kilogram in the low carb group and actually decreased by 0.1 watts per kilogram in the high carb. So again, the, the low carb is outperformed in terms of power. And obviously people in the gym, they're worried about power. Are they going to be able to get those lifts and do the same things they wanted to do in the gym? The answer is yes. Now the critical power test also increased by 1.4 watts per kilogram in low carb and decreased by 0.7 watts per kilogram in high carb. So essentially that shows that if you can keep it up long enough to fully adapt, which is say it takes at least 12 weeks, so you look about three months, then you can actually increase your athletic performance and you don't need to worry about having a lack of energy. In those 12 weeks, yes, you will have some dip as your body adapts because it's learning to, to burn the fat and to it's got to adjust the whole way that it's doing everything. And once it gets up to speed, you will have increased athletic performance. But unfortunately, a lot of people give up earlier because, you know, they're in the gym and they want to be hitting the, the big weights and they're, you know, they're a month in and they're not feeling as strong. And so they give up and they add carbs back. But you have to fully adapt your body and then you will you will reach that point where you have actually more energy and better athletic performance. So as long as you go in knowing that, most people don't know. They just think their men are feel better straight away. They don't feel better. They have slightly less energy and, and they they give up. So another thing to also note uh, in terms of energy is that our body can store more than 15 times the amount of calories of fat compared to glucose. So we can only store a, you know, a smallish amount of glucose in our body at any one time. Fat is you know, more than 15 times. So it's a much better energy source for us than glucose. Glucose, you're going to be running out of you know, very fast. So let's move on. Next up is how will I have bowel movements without fiber? Okay, another common one. I get asked about this all the time. How are your bowel movements? They're great. Thanks for asking. Now, it, it's a very popular question. Uh, it's due to the unfortunate myth that, that fiber is needed for healthy bowels and bowel movements. Now, this is actually completely false. You don't need any fiber in your diet for any reason at all. No need for fiber. Body does not need it. Okay. It's not fiber is not used or needed by our bodies. Our gut cannot break down the fiber and use it. It goes in one end and out the other. And that's actually one of the arguments they have for saying it's good for your bowel movements because it goes straight in and out and brings everything out with it. But there's no need for it and it's useless for our body. Why are we going to put something in that we can't even use? So, you know, herbivores such as you've got cows, sheep, gorillas, they have the ability in their intestines to break down these plant fibers, which we do not have. But they're built to break them down because that's the food they're meant to eat. And what they actually do is they actually break it down into protein and fat inside their body, which they then absorb. So that they're still they're still on a diet of protein and fat, but they're able to break the plant fibers down into protein and fat. We can't. So they're useless to us. So there's no need for us to, to have them. Now, in fact, lots of studies have shown that fiber can actually not only worsen things like diarrhea and constipation, but it can also lead to an increase of chances of colon cancer and other uh, intestinal issues. There, there's been quite a number of studies where they've had different groups on varying amounts of fiber and the group with zero fiber have got the best results. So there's something there for you to uh, think about. The only um, There's been no controlled studies that have shown any health benefits of fiber in your diet. The only uh, studies and research they have is epidemiological. So questionnaires, asking people what they what they eat and you know that stuff is not reliable at all and they're the only ones that, that show some benefit to uh, to fiber 
Now, the notion that fibre was beneficial to gut health, uh, it was just based pure... can't even speak properly. was based purely on a hypothesis by a British doctor. His name was Dennis Burkett. It's in the 1960s. And he spent time working in Africa. He then returned to Britain. And he noticed a much higher occurrence of you know gut and intestinal conditions than there was in Africa. He hypothesized that this was down to the African diet uh, being higher in fibre. And the fibre hypothesis was born. He wrote a book. And this view was basically just accepted. Still is today. Now, unfortunately, he didn't take the time to consider whether it was merely down to the fact that the Western diet was full of processed foods and they were causing the issues and nothing to do with fibre. He just went ahead, said it was fibre, everyone agreed, and, and that was that. So there's not really any solid scientific basis behind it, as is the same with a lot of nutritional information you'll come to find as you dig deeper into the rabbit hole. So there's huge numbers of long-term carnivores, including myself, who've not had any fibre in their diet for years and years and perfectly healthy bowels uh, and bowel movements. So th there's no need for fibre. Okay, if you want to have fibre in your diet, you know, go knock yourself out, but we don't need it. Don't feel like you have to have it. Now, there's one thing I'm just going to add on here. We'll actually cover it a bit later when we talk about possible side effects that people get. But one thing is that some people, when they move on to carnival diet, they believe that they have constipation early on. <clears throat> but... Uh, they don't, actually don't. What it is, is they're used to eating a poor diet and having, you know, multiple bowel movements a day. Some people are going three, four times a day. It's crazy. But they move on to carnivore diet and they expect the same because they think that's normal. So they're expecting to be going three, four times a day. When you move to carnivore diet, you will start going to toilet a lot less. And so you think you have constipation, but you don't have constipation. Okay. Constipation, you, you just think in your head that you should be going toilet more and you're not and so you think i must be constipated constipation is you know you will have pain you'll be bloated you'll feel like you need to go but you really can't that there's a big difference you'll just go less okay now eating optimally you should not be going that much it's not what you have to remember is that bowel movements are your body removing waste you're, you're excreting out waste what your body doesn't want now if every time you eat you need to dump a load of waste Clearly, what you are eating is not intended for you. There's no way that every time you eat, you should need to dump waste. The majority of food should be used in our body. Okay, we eat for nutrition. That's what we eat for. We need to get the nutrients in our body that we need to continue to do the processes. So if you're dumping waste all the time, that's not a good thing. This is why so many people have such inflamed bowels and guts. You shouldn't be going three, four times a day. So when you're eating optimal bioavailable diet, like the carnivore diet, you know, meat is perfectly bioavailable for humans. 99% of the food you consume is completely absorbed and used by your body. You have very, very little waste. So you don't need to go to all the time. So, you know, bowel movement, everyone's different. But, you know, once or twice a week could be absolutely fine. Some people may go down to once a day, once every two days. I don't think anyone should be going more than once a day for sure. And even once a day, if you're on carnival, seems like a lot because you shouldn't have that much waste because your body's using it. So that's just something for um, people to keep in mind. So if, if you go from a standard diet to carnival, just remember that because you're going less does not mean you're constipated. You maybe just have less waste. So let's move on to the next one. How will I get vitamins without fruit and veg? Again, you know, a reasonable question considering the information that's out there. But 
once we understand the you know the the truth about it it's actually a you know kind of a pointless question because you know we we falsely believe that fruit and veg are required for vitamins and minerals but firstly there's actually no essential nutrient in plants that's not in animals in animal based food you can get every single nutrient you need in animal based food so animal based foods are the most nutrient dense on the planet they contain all the essential vitamins and minerals we need plants actually do not contain all the essential nutrients so if you're on just a plant-based diet you will have to supplement to get everything you need on an animal-based diet you do not need to supplement now the vitamins and nutrients in plants also are actually not very bioavailable that's due to you know they've got phytotoxins anti-nutrients uh, that the plants contain which block absorption and a lot of them are not in their usable form for us so we're told that they have all of this inside uh, but how much can we actually use and it's not much so for example we're told to eat carrots you know help your eyes and whatever they supposedly contain vitamin a great vitamin a is good for you but they don't they contain beta carotene which has to be converted in the body to vitamin a and the conversion is a pretty poor rate and you will end up with not that much vitamin A from the beta carotene. Uh, another kale, you know, kale is marketed and sold as high in vitamin K. You know, great. Again, we need vitamin K. Brilliant. But vitamin, vitamin K, kale is high in vitamin K1. But we need vitamin K2. So it's not actually a good source of vitamin K that we need. It has vitamin K, but the wrong type. So we have to understand that plants are actually not a very good source of vitamins and nutrients. Meat is a great source. There's also an incorrect assumption that meat does not contain vitamin C, which it does. Also, when you're eating the carnivore diet, then your requirements for different vitamins and nutrients will change. I mentioned before about the, you know, the, the levels, the blood lipid levels and the ranges that we don't really need to be in because they're for unhealthy people, classed as normal. The same is true with, with vitamins and nutrients. With vitamin C, for example, um, it's absorbed via receptors which also um, work for glucose. So if you're eating a high sugar diet, lots of glucose and high carb, they're going to be taking up all the receptors and you won't actually absorb a lot of the vitamin C that comes into your body. But when you remove the carbs, now you're absorbing all of the vitamin C that comes in. So actually, you only need to take in a small amount and your body's absorbing all of it rather than before you were taking in a large amount and your body was absorbing, you know, hardly any of it. So these are just things that you need to understand and think about. So you can get enough. Again, plenty of long-term carnivores who have no deficiencies in anything. If you feel that you are maybe already low in nutrients and vitamins, you know, you can incorporate some organ meat in to boost yourself. You know, you can have bone broth. You can have some um, some organ meats like liver and heart and you know, just, just have some of them mixed in with your diet to, to really boost you. But there's a lot of people on carnivore that actually don't even eat organ meats. They just eat good fatty meat and, and they have no deficiencies. That That's absolutely fine. But, you know, you have options if you feel that you need to boost your vitamin and nutrient numbers that, that you can use organ meats. But it, it's not something you need to worry about. And plants are actually not a good source of nutrients anyway. So losing them is not an issue. Nearing the end now. Nearing the end. Don't want to go too long. So I thought I'd just kind of finish. That's kind of the main questions. I'm just going to finish by running through 
some of the side effects you can get while adjusting. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna stand here and pretend that the the second you go to a carnivore diet, you know, animal based, that everything's gonna be perfect and you're done, set. No, there's you know, your body adjusts. You go through an an adaptation phase. Your body has to adjust. You'll have to tweak certain things to get it right for you. And there can be some side effects that people experience. So the best thing is that you're prepared for them. You know, let's not pretend they don't exist. Let's prepare you for them. Say, look, this is what can happen. This is why. This is what you can do to prevent it happening. You know, it'll only last for this long and then you'll be you'll be good and on your way. So we'll just run through a couple of them. And, you know, a lot of these most people won't get, but some people will. So it's good to be prepared. So first one is diarrhea. So some people do get diarrhea um, at the beginning. Now, this can be due to your body dumping out a lot of the toxic foods that you're not having anymore. But the more likely cause is that it's um, you're not yet adapted to fat properly. And you've gone from probably consuming not much dietary fat to consuming a lot. And your gallbladder needs to bump up the amount of bile it's producing because you, your bile is what um, absorbs the fat. And you're probably not producing that much because you're not eating that much fat. And now you're suddenly eating loads. And if you don't have enough bile to absorb the fat, it's going to go straight through you. So it, it could last sometimes just for a couple of weeks. And that is normally the issue. So you could either dial back on your fat and kind of gradually increase it. Or maybe just when you first go in, you know, do it gradually across a couple of weeks. Um, anyway, don't don't go straight in that that's probably the best way to do it and just ease yourself in as your body adapts because you you know you're, you're changing completely the way you're eating your body's set up doing a certain thing you're going to completely change it so you know it makes sense to just you know do it gradually some people jump right in and they're fine but if you do it gradually you can you can counter that and as i say it's normally only a week or two of the diarrhea if you if you're suffering the diarrhea for longer than that then you know you need to look at what what else it could possibly be but a lot of people don't get it i didn't uh, ever suffer with that um, so constipation, and I, I already covered this one earlier, of course, under fiber. This is not really even a side effect. It's, it's, it's a side effect that people think they have, but they don't. Because as I said before, it's just that you think you should go to the toilet more and you're not. And so you think I'm constipated, but you're not constipated. You know, there could be if you if you're really not getting much fat at all and you're getting really high protein and not much fat, potentially it could be that you you need to up your fat level. But normally it's just the fact that you're not used to going to the toilet less. That's all it is. Um, next is nausea. Um, some people can get this, um, which is normally down to just, you know, your body's going through a drastic change in diet. So it's, it's a big change, it's getting used to everything. It can also be down to dehydration. So when we eat carbohydrates, they cause our body to hold on to a lot of water. So this is one of the things why a lot of people can lose um, a good amount of weight very quickly the first couple of days because it's water weight. You know, that's why, um, you're, you know, people who work out a lot and they're so obsessed with their muscles, you know, the first couple of days, they're like, get all upset because their muscles look a bit smaller. That's because their muscles were basically just pumped up with water. They're, they're, their actual muscles are no smaller. They've just lost the water from them. So where we were holding on that water before, we've removed the carbs. Now the body is removing that water from us. So we just need to keep a steady supply of water in. So you might need to drink more water than you were before to make sure that you don't um, get dehydrated. So the, the first like week or so of being carb-free, you will probably go to the toilet a lot more, urinate a lot more because your body's starting to remove that water, which is good. That's absolutely fine. But we just need to make sure that we're replacing it. We're hydrating properly 
uh, and that's probably going to help you with the, the nausea symptoms if you get them. Now, cravings. Now, this is one that probably everyone is going to get to some degree. Uh, and, and it's not really completely avoidable. Everyone's going to get uh, cravings of some type. But the first thing you want to do to combat this is make sure you eat enough food. Okay, a lot of people, when they come to eating animal-based, they don't eat enough. Okay, because you're not used to food being so satiating. The majority of foods that we eat on a general diet, they don't fill you up at all. They make you want more. You can just eat and eat and eat and binge. Now you've moved to an animal-based diet where food actually fills you up. You eat it and, wow, I'm feeling quite full. So a lot of times we'll under-eat because we we have this poor association with healthy eating that healthy eating involves restriction. So we think, well, I don't want to overeat. You know, I'm eating, I've had just this little bit of meat and I'm starting to feel full already, so I better stop because I won't eat too much. So we need to make sure that we eat enough. Eat, you know, when someone's completely full, you're not really going to get cravings. Cravings happen when you're hungry. So make sure you're full. It's very hard. If you're eating just good quality sources of protein and fat, it's very hard to overeat. Very hard. So don't worry about restricting. Eat plenty, especially the first couple of weeks while you adapt. As you kind of learn and as you go on, you'll become to you'll kind of learn to eat intuitively. You know, your, your body will tell you when you're hungry, when you're not hungry, and when you've had enough. But the first couple of weeks, you know, make sure you eat plenty. The worst thing you could do in those first few weeks is under eat because it's going to give you all kinds of issues uh, with cravings being one. So make sure you eat plenty. You'd be better off to overeat than under eat for the first two, three weeks. But as I say, overeating is very hard. So that's the best way to battle the cravings. And also... Another thing I find is good to battle cravings is to be prepared. So I always, I always like to know what I'm eating. So I want to know what I'm eating the next day. I've got my food ready. It's out the freezer, whatever, ready. I can come in, cook it and eat. And I know I don't, I don't want to get home from a long, hard day at work. You're tired and you're scrambling around trying to find something to eat because you're going to go for the easy option, which is going to be sugary, carby, and you don't want to do that. And also get all the carbs out of your house. If you're going to struggle with cravings, get them out so they're not there. Be prepared. Have your meals ready get them done and um, also stress doesn't help with cravings so if you can reduce the stress and also if you can make sure you're exercising uh exercise and moving and being active will help with cravings sitting around be it being stationary um, and boredom will, will not help with cravings they make them worse so being active will, will also help you with that now uh, another thing that people can get is leg cramps now these are pretty much always down to lack of electrolytes which um, many people can suffer with at the beginning. And this is the same kind of thing we talked earlier about how carbs cause your body to hang on to water. Okay, they do the same thing with salt. So once we remove the carbohydrates, our body will remove the salt. We'll start to dump much more salt in our urine. Again, which is fine. That's good. We don't want to hang on to salt. Um, you know, we want the salt to go in our body, be used and, and come out what we don't need. So that that's fine. But we just need to make sure that we're replenishing our supplies. So, again, you probably want more salt in your diet than you had before. Make sure that you're salting all of your food, all of your meals. You can salt it to taste. You know, your body, again, especially as you start to get a couple of weeks into it, your body's really good at telling you what you need. So you can just salt it to taste. If it tastes too salty, dial it back a bit. If you're eating it and, you you know, it's making you want more, add a bit more on. Also, if you, if you don't add too much to your food but you need more salt, you can add um, salt to your water, drink some salt water. 
or get you know the little packs of a, of electrolyte powder or something and have that in your drinks to keep your electrolytes up but that is pretty much always the cause for um leg cramps uh, which people can get at the beginning so up your electrolytes uh, and you should be fine with that one okay now bad breath this one is uh, not as common, I think. Not not too many people seem to suffer from this, or maybe they don't even notice that they suffer from it. Um, and this, it'll only l normally last for like a week or so. It doesn't last for too long. It's essentially, once you remove carbs from your body, uh, then you're using fat for energy. So your body's burning fat. When it burns fat, it makes ketones, which um, are a brilliant energy source, uh, you know, especially for your brain that loves ketones. But excess ketones are actually the only type of energy that your body will just waste. You know, with any excess, it will just waste and get rid of the rest of your, you know, you whether it's glucose, whether it's fat, you know, your body keeps them, stores them, uses them for whatever. Ketones, it will waste through urine and also um, in your breath. Now, at first, when you're not fat adapted, you're going to have more wastage of these ketones you're producing. You're not used to using them. And, you know, more of them in your breath can kind of have a distinct smell and you, you can kind of have bad breath with it. Again, it will probably only last for, for a week or so. You just make sure you drink plenty, stuff like that. You know, it's just the tuning process. Your body's becoming a fine-tuned machine. You know, ketones and fat, the perfect energy for it. And these are just kind of the, the teething issues as it, as it gets fine-tuned in. So don't worry about it too much if you do get that one. Um, and then last one, heart palpitations. Now, this is, again, it, it's mainly uh, low electrolytes, a low electrolyte issue. So if you feel you are getting heart palpitations, then make sure you drink plenty of water, getting plenty of electrolytes, uh, get them in. That there's there's one other thing with this one, uh, which which can be a reason for it, which is if you are on blood pressure medications, then um, for high blood pressure, when you go on to a carnival diet and you remove carbs, your blood pressure is going to improve. Okay, people try and tell you that salt. You know, we were talking before about salt. People try and say that salt um, is what gives you high blood pressure and you need to reduce your salt. Now, that's not true. Um, it's it's sugar, it's carbohydrates that causes it. Um, funnily enough, though, it's not really funny, but just part of it. Salt, um, where salt goes, water goes too. So the more salt being stored by your body, uh, the more water, which increases your blood volume, which can increase your blood pressure. But the salt being stored is caused by the carbohydrates you know we spoke before about how um y your body starts to remove all the excess salt when you get rid of carbs which is good because when the carbs are storing that excess salt which they shouldn't be doing your body doesn't want to do that that actually will inc increase your your blood volume and your blood pressure so you know so having salt in your diet is not the cause of high blood pressure although salt is involved in the mechanism of blood pressure but it, it's the sugar it's the carbs which cause it so removing them lowers our blood pressure. But if you're on a high medication for it, you could get heart palpitations as a side effect of that. And what you need to do is speak to your doctor and reduce your dosage of the high of your blood pressure medications because now you're on too high a dose because your blood pressure has improved with your diet. But that's something that you need to bring up to your doctor, speak to them about, and they can you know check your blood pressure and hopefully bring the dose down um, to whatever's necessary and hopefully completely remove it if you if you continue on the diet and, and continue to improve it so that that would be the the aim for that and um that is kind of i think that will pretty much do me for today uh, i don't want to make it too long 
hopefully that's answered some questions for people who are either thinking about doing a, a carnival diet or an animal-based diet or have started one and they've got questions about it. They're just some of the basics covered, um, which, which will hopefully put your mind at ease on some things. And I encourage you, whatever it is, look into it. Do 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 your own research as well. You know, who, whoever says it, even with, you know, what I say, don't just take it as, okay, he said that's fine. You know, go and look into it, research. And that's the best way to do it is, is really look into it, question yourself all the time and find the answers. And once you have researched enough and you really have that solid belief that yes, you know, the, what I thought is correct. I've looked at all of this and, and I'm happy with this. I'm secure in my belief of it. And then you feel a lot more, more comfortable moving forward. But that's going to do me for this week. I really hope that you, you found it helpful. We're going to be back next week with another podcast, which, you know, we've got plenty of guests coming up. Barry's going to be back as well. We, we got some great stuff in the pipeline. So I'll see you all then. And let's get optimal together. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover on the podcast or you'd like to appear on it, then please contact us at hwpoduk at gmail.com on our website, which is healthwealthuk.com or on any of our social medias, which are at hwpoduk. Please make sure you like, subscribe, share it with all your friends and family and we will see you next week. 